Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Eighth chapter of Deuteronomy. I want to pick up where I left off last week, and uh, I want to say something a little more clearer uh, than I I did last week. Last week, I I brought out something that actually I really had not seen until I was preaching last week. And so I just kind of made a brief statement, and uh, I needed to go back and and meditate on it some more. And uh, we were talking, just to kind of recap, we were talking last week, and we saw in this chapter that God intends for his people to prosper. And we see that uh, uh, identified so clearly and so wonderfully in this chapter. Verse 17 and 18, it says, well, let's, I, I had you do this. I had started in verse 11, and then we kind of picked up a few key words in two or three verses to kind of give the, the uh, quick flow without giving all of the, uh, of the parenthetical uh, ideas that go along to support this. But beginning in verse 11, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Verse 12, lest... Verse 14, when, you're, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Verse number 17, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant as he swore, or which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Again, we pointed out last week that it is clearly God's will that his children have abundance. And uh, he does this because he wants to establish his covenant. We pointed out the words where it says, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day, refers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's referring to the Abrahamic covenant. We pointed out that the Abrahamic covenant, of course, was the covenant that God made with Abraham. God entered into covenant with Abraham, promised him certain things. One of the things that was included in that covenant was prosperity. But he also promised Abraham that he would bless his descendants after him and that through his descendants he would possess the earth. Now, we read over without turning there today, we read over in Galatians and we found out that when God made the promise to Abraham, it said to Abraham and his seed or his descendant, singular, not seeds or or descendants, plural, but as of one, your seed, which was Christ. We saw that when God entered into covenant with, with Abraham, he was really speaking to Abraham and blessing him and blessing his natural descendants, but he was also looking through history and he saw one ultimate descendant, one seed, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and then it goes on to tell us that the promises were made to Christ. Then it goes on to tell us that if we are Christ, and we know we are, if we've been born again, we've not, we're not only uh, with Christ, we've been joined to Christ. We've become part of Christ. And so it says, if then if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the, to the promise. So we see that the covenant that God made to Abraham, he fulfilled in Christ. And so the new covenant is really the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled. And that you and I have 
an equal share in that covenant and everything that, that goes into that covenant, everything that Jesus has received, we have been made joint heirs with him. Amen? So it, it, it talks about the fact that he gave men the power, his children the power to get wealth that he might establish his covenant. Well, if the covenant that God spoke to Abraham in his day had to have wealth in order to be established, then the covenant today has to have wealth. God needs you to prosper. Now, I know you want to prosper, but God needs you to prosper for the covenant's sake, for the establishing of the covenant in the earth. The new covenant, the the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will only be preached to the degree that God's people prosper. Are you out here this morning? Amen? Glory to God. Now, normally in the past, the way I've looked at this verse, uh, when it says in verse number 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant. I've always looked at that without really digging into it or meditating in it and, uh, and interpreted it simply this way, that God gives us the power that is the ability to gain wealth. And what, I'm, and what I uh, understood that to mean was that he gives us the ability to work hard. You know, hard work is good. Is this a mirage or are you really here? (laughs) The Bible talks about working. If a man won't work, he's he's not going to eat, the Bible says. So God gives us strength, physical strength to work. He also gives us wisdom in finances, just general wisdom to, to, to uh, not overextend ourselves and borrow money than we, more than we can pay, things like that. God gives us the, the, the wisdom to make good financial decisions. He gives us, even beyond that, uh, special insights into business and maybe how to start a business and how to grow a business and, and maybe to, to invent new uh, goods or services that no one else has ever come up with that God can prosper us. These are all ways that we've looked at that God gives us power to get wealth. Well, all of that's true, but that's really secondary it's true, but it's a secondary truth to what he's, what he's saying here. Let's go back and look at verse number 17 and 18. These verses tell us that there are two sources of power to get wealth. Verse 17 and verse 18 show us two sources of power. First of all is our power. Secondly, God's power. Notice he said, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's natural power. Every man has, and woman, every person has natural power to get wealth. Every person does. That's why I have very little tolerance for the welfare class in our nation. Now, we all understand, if I can take a little rabbit trail here, we all understand that if someone is truly destitute and has suffered uh, uh, misfortune to the degree that they have to have help, then somebody ought to help them and we should help them. 
You take a person, for instance, who's in an accident and, and he comes out of that accident paralyzed or maybe a, a, a quadriplegic or something and he, and he can't work, he can't help himself. Let's say his family were all killed in that accident. Well, somebody's going to have to take care of him. I don't think any reasonable, decent person would deny that people, someone needs to step up and take a Society should take care of him. Now listen, we are not of this world, but we are in this world. Even as Christians, non-Christians and Christians alike, we're all part of the society. We belong to this society of men and it is all of our responsibility to take care of people who are truly destitute. But what we have in America today is we have a welfare class that has this, this welfare mentality and dependence has been passed down from generation to generation now. And there are people that just won't work. And, and to be honest with you, the entitlement spending of our government cannot be sustained. It is literally, this is not figurative, this is not uh, hyperbole, this is literally the truth. The entitlement spending of our nation is sucking our economy underwater and it's unsustainable. And it's based on giving people uh, things that they ought to be able to do for themselves. Now, in a, in a lot of places and in a lot of ways, it's not all those people's fault. It's, you know, when you feed, if you feed a wild animal long enough, he'll lose the natural ability to hunt. And who did it? You did it. Well, our government is responsible and the policies of our government are largely responsible for this welfare class mentality. But the truth is every person has natural ability to get wealth if they will just use it. If you just put it to work, that's natural ability. Notice he said, do not trust in your natural ability. That's the first source. Let, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. There is supernatural power to get wealth. Now don't think just in terms of what God can help you do naturally. That's part of it because God does enhance our natural ability. And he does, remember Jacob, it's a good example, Jacob in the Old Testament, you know, he uh, uh, he went to serve uh, his father-in-law for, he fought for Rachel you know, he served her seven years and then at the end of seven years, she was the younger daughter and, and Leah was the older daughter and, and, and Laban said, well, it wouldn't be right for the younger daughter to get married first, so I'll give you, I'll give you Leah. And, uh, but he wasn't in love with Leah. So he served another seven years for Rachel. But during that time, <coughs> God gave him an idea. God gave him supernatural wisdom, above natural wisdom, and it was something that no one else would have thought of. You know, the story of the speckled and the spotted goats and sheep and lambs and all of that. And God blessed him by giving him a crafty idea. So we should use those things. 
God will enhance natural ability and, and even supersede that and give us more. But there's more to this power to get wealth than just enhance natural ability. Look at those words again. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. There is power from God that comes directly from him. It is not at all natural. It is supernatural. You could say it's unnatural. There's supernatural power to get wealth that comes from God. It, it, it also is available to every man. If a person will just work it. The supernatural power of God to get wealth is released in the principles of giving and receiving. The Bible identifies giving and receiving or sowing and reaping as the way God blesses his children. Sowing and reaping is God's power to get wealth because it it denies the natural. Or I should say it, it defies natural thinking. Natural thinking to get wealth is to acquire everything you can. Don't turn loose of anything. Don't turn loose of, a, of, of one dime, hoard it, cheat people. That's what natural ability says. That's what natural thinking says. Natural thinking says build and accumulate and don't give anything away. God's wisdom is completely opposite of that. God's wisdom is if you want to get, give. Well, that has to work on, on, on the basis of supernatural power because naturally that can't work. That defies the laws of economics. If I want $100, for me to give away $100 is not the way to have $100. It's the way to be, have less than $100, have, have $100 less, isn't that right? That's basic economics. But God doesn't work on those principles. His power to get wealth is released in in sowing and reaping. There's power in sowing and reaping. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, you know, uh, we've looked at these passages of Scripture before, but I just want to illustrate this and and go with me to Luke, the sixth chapter. Luke chapter 6. And look at verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, we've heard that so many times, but do we realize how radical that is? That's not natural economics working here. That's not natural power at work. God says, give, and and it'll come back to you. God, God's power is what causes that to work. There's no other explanation for it. If I get, like I said, if I give somebody something because the spirit of God leads me to do that or I give to a a Christian project, if I do that, there's nothing in the natural, no operation of natural power or, or, or process will cause that money to come back to me. But God's power will bring it back. Not only bring it back, he said it'll come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, 
shaken together, and running over. There's no other explanation for that but God's power. That's the power to get wealth right here. Right here in this verse is illustrated and, def- and defined for you to see this is God's power to get wealth right here. This is how he does it. Now, again, we should expect him to enhance our natural abilities and even go beyond that and give us ideas and, and talents and so forth and expand that. We should do all of that. But even that operates from, this, from the basis of God's power. It's God's power that does it. Go with me. Uh, well, let's, let's finish re- reading this because it's important. He said, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The, uh, the New Century version of this passage says, give and you will receive. You will be given much. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will spill into your lap. Now listen, the way you, the way you give to others is the way God will give to you. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. The, uh, the New Living Bible, or the Living Bible says, for if you give, you will get. Your gift will return to you in full and overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, and running over. Whatever measure you use to give, large or small, will be used to measure what is given back to you. Well, praise the Lord. We know 2 Corinthians 9, 6. This is a familiar verse. You don't have to turn there. But it says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. The New Living Translation there says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Another, the message Bible says, remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. But see, all of this is based on God giving back to us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's God's power that causes that to work. Well, if you want to operate in the the power to get wealth, the way to do that is to get involved in the sowing. There's just not any other way to get involved in God's power to get wealth. That's how his power is released. It's in sowing and reaping. Amen? Well, we identified this last week, so we'll pick up here. There are five kinds of giving identified in the Bible, or you can say there are five authorized kinds of giving. Now, you know, whenever you preach this way, sometimes there will be people in a congregation, particularly visitors or something might come in that don't know the Bible and they'll say, well, yeah, I came to church one time and here's a preacher preaching about money, just interested in money. Well, the, the truth of the matter is uh, we're interested in the word of God and we're interested in obeying God and having what he has provided for us. Now, obviously it takes money to fund the operation of a church or any gospel enterprise. But this is about more than just getting funds to fund the work of God. This is, in other words, just here, this is talking about getting involved in God's plan and his power to get wealth that the covenant may be established. I tell, I, I tell people like this, I said, listen, if, 
if this bothers you, please do not give. Because I'm telling you, if it bothers you to give, you are wasting your time to give. If you don't, I'll go even a step further. If you don't have a revelation of this, you're, if you're giving out of, uh, of just obedience because you've always been taught you're supposed to give, but you don't really see uh, and understand. And I don't, I don't mean that you have to understand how it works, but if you don't have a revelation from the Spirit of God uh, about giving and receiving, you'd be better off to keep your money because it's hollow. It's not going anywhere. That power is not working in you if it's not done in faith. I was raised in church, and we were taught tithing you know, from as early as I can remember. And I know a lot of people. Now, my family, uh, my parents were always very uh, strong on tithing, and I picked that up. And I believed in it primarily because I had just, I just had been taught you have to do that. We even taught sometimes in our churches, we, we had this saying was that went sort of like this. You know, if you don't tithe, God's going to get his anyway. He's going to get that 10% 10 back from you anyway, even if you don't tithe. And the idea there was that God would curse you if you didn't tithe. You know, Malachi says you're cursed with a curse. Well, we're not cursed with a curse. We're not under the curse. We're under the blessing. But they used to say, if you don't tithe, you know, God's going to get his 10% anyway. And what that meant was that, you know, your car's going to break down more often. You know, your refrigerator's going to quit working. You know, this is going to happen. Your barn's going to burn down. You know, God's going to get his 10%. Well, to begin with, how is your barn burning down giving God 10%? It's not God's refrigerator. It's your refrigerator. Isn't that right? And so a lot of times people have tithed out of a sense of obligation with no real, they're not, they're not giving in faith. And when anything that's not of faith is sin. You're giving really based on a law and it's not producing anything because it's not from faith. And so I tell people, listen, stop your give. If that's what you're doing, stop it. But stay open to receiving revelation. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart so that you get a revelation of giving. And when you get a revelation of giving, faith comes when the word is heard. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And that's talking about hearing and, and, and when that faith arises on the inside, you might not understand it, but on the inside you know, yeah, this is Bible, I see this. Well, now you can give in faith and God will bless you. So I'm not saying if you don't, if you don't, if you're not giving in faith, don't ever give. I'm saying you might as well hold off and get into the word and find out what the Bible says. Keep your heart open. And, and then when you see it and faith arises, then jump on it because it's the power to get wealth. Amen. So we talked about five uh, kinds of giving. There's number one is tithe. We, we, and we'll talk about that. Secondly, general offerings. Now, now what are general offerings? General offerings, offerings are just any kind of an offering to the work of God over and above your tithe. Tithing is always fundamental. Tithing is 10% and that's fundamental. That comes first. But then are, are there other things associated with the gospel that you can give into? Yes. For instance, you know, we, we're, you can give to the air conditioning fund. 
you know, the repairs on the air conditioning or anything like that that comes up in a local church that we present, that would be something over and above your tithe you can give into. You know, our church back in, uh, I guess in March of this year, uh, we sent $10,000 to, you know, from the church. I didn't do it personally, but from the church to Randall Greer. He, you know, pastors and congregations need buildings, but very often traveling ministers need airplanes. Now they don't all need four or five jet airplanes, but, but very often, you know, they need an airplane to travel and get to the places efficiently. And so Randall's, you know, he's bought a, a nice aircraft. It's not a jet. It's just a single engine, uh, high performance plane, very nice plane. And uh, his ministry is growing and they've outgrown the facilities they've been renting. renting. And so he's, he's building a hangar at an airport outside of Tulsa, outside of Broken Era. And uh, uh, he's going to be able to house his his airplane there and his office, you know, ministry and everything there. And so that's a good project. The Lord laid that on my heart. So the church sent $10,000. A pastor that I know, uh, you know, last year, I guess, he's building a new building and the, and the Lord laid it on my heart, sending $10,000. Well, those are offerings. In fact, I, I sent him that $10,000 and, and I knew that he was building this building, you know, on a cash basis. And, and a few days later, he called me back. He called me up and he said, Ooh, he said, we were dancing all over the office this morning. They had come to a stopping place where the sheetrock was concerned, you know, in the, in the auditorium, and they had run out of funds, and so it was, the job was at a standstill, and there were other things that couldn't be done until they got that done, and, uh, and they didn't have the money. He said, man, your check came in. We're going to be able to finish that sheetrock. Glory to God. They were dancing around. Well, those are, those are things that the Lord will lead you to give to, general offerings, the third uh, authorized form of giving that's identified in the Bible is giving to those who minister God's word to you. Over in, uh, we'll go into more detail on this later. We'll go over to Galatians chapter six. Galatians chapter six. Now this is a specific kind of giving. In Galatians 6, six, it says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches the word. So it is scriptural to give to those who minister God's word to you. That can be giving to your pastor. You know, we have Pastor Appreciation Day around it. That's scriptural. Amen. I said that's scriptural. For, to, for, you know, to, for people to give an offering to their pastor. Well, the pastor's on salary. You know, I give to him every week, you know, in my tithes. Well, that's true. But this is talking about a love offering. Just showing somebody that you love them. It's scriptural to do that. Amen. Uh, giving to anybody who teaches the word. This could be, you know, your pastor. It could be uh, someone that you listen to on TV that's a blessing to you, a minister. Or maybe you read their books and, and uh, uh, listen to them online and, and they've been a blessing to you. It's scriptural to support these ministries. You don't support them with the tithe, but you, you, you support them with offerings. And so that's, that's uh, the third area. The fourth area identified in the Bible uh, this third one is you giving to ministers who preach the word to you. But you know, there are ministers who preach the word to other people who can't give. Those are missionaries. That's, a, that's the fourth area of giving. We give to missionaries. We're giving to somebody else's minister. See, the missionaries that, that we give to, they're going out and most of the places where they're going, the people either don't have anything or you know, they give what they have, but it's not enough to support the meetings. 
I know Christopher Allen, but I know it's true of all these other ministers we give. The amount of money that comes in in these crusades is paltry compared with the expenses of the meeting. And, and secondly, a lot of times the people for generations haven't been taught to give. They don't even know to give. Well, we give to missionaries so they can minister to other people. They're ministering to other people for us. They're ministering to other people in our name. We're sending them. Well, that's the fourth area of, of uh, giving identified in the Bible. And the fifth area is giving to the poor. Giving to those in need. And, and we've identified in, in, again that uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when the, in the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel, when Israel gave, when they gave to the poor, they gave to the poor in Israel. They didn't, they didn't give to the, they didn't, like I said, they didn't have a Meals on Wheels program to the Philistines. They didn't have, you know, a, a program of giving to the Ammonites and all these other uh, communities around there. They gave to the poor in Israel. Now, what they would do, one thing that they did is they were instructed when they took, took their crops in to leave the corners of the, of the fields un, <coughs> not reaped and leave them so that those who were poor could come through. And this would include even from people from other nations when they were passing through Israel, then the, when they were on Israel's territory, they could come through the fields and they could glean those, uh, that corn and that grain and have something to eat. But if you look at it, you notice they had to go get the food. The Israelites weren't instructed to go out and harvest it and package it and take it to them. The poor had to go and work and get it themselves. Amen. Over in the New Testament, the Bible teaches giving to the poor. And, and Jesus, you know, instructed his, his disciples from time to time to give to the poor. Well, that was to the poor in Israel, the poor Jews. He wasn't Judas, you know, had, had the, the money bag. They weren't going out and giving offerings to the Romans. They were giving offerings to other Jews, the poor. You see that in the New Testament, that when offerings were taken up to give to the poor, it was for the poor saints in Jerusalem and so forth. Isn't that right? So the Bible teaches giving to those in need. Now, I'm not saying don't ever give to someone who is unsaved. I'm not saying that. That is as the spirit of God leads you. Sometimes in my private giving, I've given to people that I knew were not saved. And the spirit of God dealt with me to give to them anyway. Well, you know, God's merciful. Who knows if that might be something that'll speak to that person's heart, you know, to turn them toward God. I don't know. I, I'm just gonna obey the Holy Ghost. But I've noticed most of my personal giving when I just give to people in need, most of the time it's Christians, it's believers. And a lot of times when I don't know, like I said last week, I'll give somebody something, I'll just be out and about and the Lord will, you know, impress me, give somebody $100 or something and then I give it to them. But I always talk to them and after I get to talking to them, find out they're Christians, well, the Lord said, you know, in this passage in, in uh, Galatians here, let's look at it. 
He said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. Of course, he'll reap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and so forth. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not do weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not faint or lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so we give to those in need. I've noticed this, that sometimes the Lord will impress me to give to someone who is in need, but you wouldn't necessarily classify them as poor. They're not really poor. Uh, sometimes they, they, they're doing okay, but they've got this need in this life, this big need. It might be something that God's put on their heart that they, that they know they need to do and, and they don't have the finances to do it, and yet they're living okay. But they have a vision, a dream for something. Sometimes the Spirit of God will have me help somebody like that. And it's not technically giving to the poor, but it falls into the category. It's giving to meet someone's need. I found out that if I will help bring somebody else's vision to pass, God will send somebody to bring my visions to pass. He who waters others will be watered himself, the Bible says. And so those are the five areas, biblical areas uh, of giving. Now, these are authorized areas uh, authorized by the word of God. So let's look at tithes first. We see tithes and offerings. Go over with me to Malachi. Malachi, and let's look at the third chapter. I made reference to it a few minutes ago. Malachi, and let's look at verse number, chapter three, verse number 10. Praise the Lord. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, there's this perennial argument. You know, it just keeps coming up every time uh, you teach on this. In fact, when I was a young man, when I first got back into fellowship with the Lord, I was 20 years old. I started going back to church again. Uh, F.L. Braddock, Bud Braddock was the pastor, and he had been the pastor when I was younger. And uh, when I started going back to church, I was hungry for God, you know, and I was just, just doing everything I knew to do. But see, I had been raised, like I said, to tithe, but I didn't have a revelation. I didn't see it from the word of God. And so I wasn't doing it in faith. And so we started going back to church and, and I didn't tithe right away because I made the same mistake that a lot of people make. I, I read this in the book of Malachi and I said, oh, wait a minute, that's Old Testament. And if you read the New Testament, there's not a lot in the New Testament about tithing. It's only mentioned a few times. There's not any clear teaching on it in the New Testament. And so I remember I went to, to Bud Braddock, F.L. Braddock, the pastor, and, and I said, now, now, Brother Braddock, I know you receive tithes, you know, every Sunday, but isn't that under the law? You know, we've been uh, redeemed from the curse of the law. Not only that, the law has, been, has passed away and has been fulfilled in Christ. We're not operating under the law. Of course, he was very patient with me, you know, and he gave me scriptures to read. And, and so because I was open... I went back and studied and I, and I discovered that even though tithing is, was, was uh, identified very clearly under the law, it didn't originate with the law. Tithing was introduced far before, far earlier than the, than the law was introduced. Tithing was really introduced as a 
uh, as an identified 10% in the days of Abraham. Abraham tithed as a response of faith. Well, in the book of Galatians, in the third chapter, we've quoted that. Let's go on over there and look at it again. Galatians 3. We've, we quoted part of that. Galatians 3, we're talking about, you know, the, uh, and verse 16, and to Abraham and to his seed, where the promise is made, he does not say, and to seeds or descendants, plural, as of many, but as of one and to your seed, your descendant, who is Christ. Now notice verse 17. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. Now the covenant he's talking about is the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant came before the Mosaic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was given before the law, 430 years it says before the law. Now notice what it says about the Abrahamic covenant. He says the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. Again, when God made entered into covenant with Abraham, he was entering into covenant with Christ. Well, tithing was part of that Abrahamic covenant. The law that came later merely regulated the tithe. It didn't create the tithe. Well, when the law was fulfilled and superseded by grace, the principle of the law, which is tied to faith in the Abrahamic covenant, is still a valid experience and a valid principle. So that argument, you know, that we're not under the law, absolutely we're not under the law, and we don't tithe by law. We tithe as a principle of faith and honor. Amen? And so those are two things I want to explore. Tithing is first and foremost a principle of faith and honor, and these are timeless principles that transcend all dispensations and covenants. Faith and honor are timeless principles in the Bible that were before the law, during the law, after the law, and will always exist. Amen? Go with me to Genesis chapter 15. And uh, Genesis 15, we'll actually go back to the 14th chapter and catch a few verses there. Genesis chapter 14. I tell you, as a, as a young man, you know, I questioned these things, but I got into the Bible myself. I got into the word of God for myself. I wasn't happy just doing something because I had been told it was the right thing to do. I wanted to see from the Bible if this is true. And these are the things that I discovered when I started looking into the word of God. I found out that tithing was a principle that, uh, and we, as we'll see as we go into this a little further, it was actually introduced in the garden. It was actually introduced, well, right, right uh, after the, the, uh, 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 the experience in the garden, but it was introduced, first of all, with Abel, who was the, you know, Adam and Eve's uh, son. So it goes back that far, but as a, as a figure of 10%, that came in the time of Abraham. I had, a, I had somebody say one time, well, you know, I don't believe that God's, you know, prescribing, you know, a dollar amount or a certain percentage well, the fact is he did prescribe a percentage. 
The word tithe means a tenth. It means 10 cents on the dollar. It means one tenth of anything is a tithe. And, uh, and so in, in, we see it here in the 14th chapter of Genesis. This is the story, of, of course, of, of, of uh, Melchizedek. It says in, in verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most God, the God Most High, who has delivered your enemies in your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him a tithe of all. If you'll notice in your Bible, there's probably a note there where it says that God, that Abraham gave him a tithe. In the margin, it says one tenth. God, Abraham, as an act of faith in God and in honor of what God had done, God, Abraham tithed to the representative of God, which was Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the priest of God, of God most high. And so Abraham gave him 10% of everything that came into his hand. Well, that's where we see the principle of tithing identified uh, in the New Testament. Now, if you go over to, I'll tell you what, let's keep reading. He went on to say, went on to say here, he gave him a tithe, a tenth of all. And then the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Abram realized that the power to get rich came from God. That if he would tithe, if he would do, if he would honor God, God in return would empower him to be rich. So he said, I don't want you saying you made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of men who went with me and uh, let them take their portion. Now, after these things, chapter 15, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a dream. Or in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. The margin there in some Bible says your abundant compensation. God spoke to Abram and said, now that you've tithed to me and you've honored me, trusting me. See, this was a, this was a principle of faith for Abraham. He had, the, he had the opportunity to take all of the goods that he had gained in battle. And he went out, you know, and delivered Lot and, 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 uh, and all of the people and, and, and took all of the, of the flocks and, the, and the, everything. He could have been tremendously blessed as a result of that. Could have been wealthy just on that one uh, uh, crusade that he went on. But he said, no, if I do that, then people are going to say, yeah, you know, these kings made Abram rich. He said, no, I want the world to know that God is my source. Again, it's God who gives us the power to get rich. How does he do it? Through sowing and reaping. So what did Abraham do? Instead, you see, natural economics would say, yeah, you take all that stuff. Woo, you just moved up. You just moved up in the, in the, in the, in the world of, uh, of money and finance. You just gained all of this wealth. Woo-hoo, look at you. God's system says Give. So he didn't take any of that. Instead of taking what was rightfully his, he took 10%. That's all he took. 
just 10%, left the rest of it, took 10% and gave it away. Now that beats anything you've ever heard in your life. That's the most ridiculous thing you can think of. That's how the power works. He gave him a tenth and what did God say? God appeared to him right after that in a vision and says, now I will be your shield and your abundant compensation. I will be the source of your income going forward. That's what happens when a person in faith and in honor of God commits their way to the Lord and gets involved with with giving and receiving, sowing and reaping. If you do it in faith and do it as honor to the Lord, the Lord has said, I will be your abundant compensation. I'll be your shield. That means I'll be your protector. I'll watch over you. I'll care for you. And I will cause you to have abundance. My wife and I, we've been tithing in faith, you know, for I don't know how long. Huh? About 44 years. And we've been tithing not just out of a sense of obligation, but because we saw it in the word of God, we knew God's promise was true. And I tell you what, God has, has been my shield over and over and over and over again. God has protected me, cared for me, nurtured us, both of us, provided for us. He has become our abundant compensation. I'm telling you, the power of God to get work, to get wealth is there. You just have to operate in it. Amen. People who do not, Christians who do not tithe or maybe used to tithe and stopped tithing, the reason they don't tithe is because they're not trusting God. That is the reason. I'll say that again. The reason Christians do not tithe when they've been taught the word of God and they still don't do it is because they do not trust God to take care of them. They think if I, I can't afford, I can't afford, I can't make it, it, you know, if I can't, if I don't have the full amount of what I'm making, I can't, they're saying I can't afford to give away 10%, I can't make it. Well, you know, we used to say, you know, well, if you, you know, if, 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 if you can't make it on the 90%, uh, if, if you try to make it on the 100, God's going to get that 10%. No, he's not. He'll, he'll let you keep it. But the enemy will take it from you. It's not the curse of God. It's just you're operating in fear instead of in faith. And you're depending on the power of your hand, the might of your hand to gain. That's really what that is. Oh, yeah, I got to keep that 10% because I earned that and that's part of what I, and I need that to, to, to create more wealth for me and to, and to improve my standard of living. I need that 10%. Who are you trusting? You're trusting yourself. The tither says, you've given me the 90 to enjoy and then as you lead me, you know, you, you can lead me to give, you know, to general offerings and missionaries and, and others, you know, but the tithe I'm giving to you right up front, right off the top, because I trust you to take care of me. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching.
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.